0: Our guest today is Jen Young. Jen is founder of Intentional Generations, created after her own experiences of working in a toxic workplace culture. Um, instead of living with it, Jen decided to do something about it. And after five years of learning everything she could about people development, workplace well-being, mental health, and stress, she now helps organizations create better workplaces. Jen has been someone I've followed for a while, and it's wonderful to chat to someone who is on a similar mission that we are on here at Winning in Work. So, hi, Jen. ora, Nikki, it's so good to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. I know you know you've had so you've been working with so many companies over the past couple of years, um, and this is needed probably more so than ever right now. Is just help with well-being, mental health, and just personal development, really, and people development. Um, so what, what happened to you? What, what happened to make you decide that you need to create um, Intentional Generations? Goodness, big question to start off. Okay,
1: let's jump right in. So Kia ora, <laughs> hello everyone. I'm Jen. A lot of people know me as Jen Y because I'm a millennial, Jen Y, Jennifer Young, all boils down, love puns. So Kia ora. hello. Nice to meet you all. Uh, in terms of the Intentional Generations backstory. So I love to go into the behind the marketing stuff. So behind the fancy website, pretty pictures, the nice stuff you might see on social media. So the reality is that the real genesis from Intentional Generations came from an internal vow that I made to myself when I was in a toxic working environment. So I'd left law I'd gone straight into the public sector. I was specializing as a leadership development advisor and consultant. And the environment was actually really toxic for someone that has high levels of empathy and high sensitivity. So... I know that I'm not alone in this. I know that high sensitivity, so sensory processing sensitivity, impacts about one in five people, so about 20, 30% of people. And so the kind of environment like that, it's typically a person like me that goes down first. So coming out of law where I knew my structure, I knew what was going on, I knew what was expected of me, and going into a brand new field, a brand new environment, I think honestly it was too much all at once. And the culture that was there in that workplace just really didn't help all the life changes I was experiencing in that one period of time. So I think as you and I've been talking, sometimes life hits you with all these things all at once to see what happens, to help us learn things and It didn't just impact me, the kind of culture that was there, but it also impacted many of my colleagues. So there was quite a bit of a bullying culture there. I know that our chief executive was really impacted by the demands of her job. And then we really felt that every single one of our team members and employees and one of our key team members also got really unwell during that period of time. So I think this really aligns Mm. with what we're experiencing at the moment where there's a lot of people that are being impacted by sickness or illness or life just happening. Also, as someone that had just come out of a quite traditional (laughs) career path and education path and going into an environment that was not that and seeing the behaviors that were the reality in the workplace were different to the values that were stowed and the way that people operated, it I think it hit me really hard that was like this Mm. reality that what I'd assumed or what I'd known, what I'd been promised in terms of work, it was completely different. And so, you know, coming out of university thinking, cool, I'm going to go in and do my best. And it was not able to happen at all because not only my own, but other people's work, uh, mental health and also wellbeing being ended up getting quite severely impacted. So I went from being someone that was really quite confident and certain of myself to getting to the point of suicide ideation and really experiencing right. for the first time in my life, like high anxiety and I, some big depressive episodes, like really feeling like I'd lost who I was in my direction. And I made this vow and I don't think I really, really realized it until a while afterwards, but I, I was in that state realizing I never want a single person to experience what it is I experienced, either by the mm. culture, by the workplace, by leadership, or to not have the skill sets to be able to navigate that. And so the ethos, the genesis of intentional generations came from that time because, one, that lived experience, and then two, knowing how influential leadership culture can be on people's well-being. And I vowed to do something about it, and I've had the huge privilege, my goodness, over the last... It's it's almost five years as we're having this talk in September 2022, almost five years of doing this type of work. So going into workplaces, whether it's doing a workshop, a program, some consulting, advising, mentoring, coaching. Yeah, I've had huge privilege to do this kind of work and what they do in workplaces has had a really beautiful on effect that I can do work with either youth or in the community for either severely reduced costs or pro bono. So it's, yeah, I really believe in that for-purpose model or that social impact model. So that's what I've been doing for almost five years. <laughs> Goodness.
0: Fantastic. Wow. Mm. And yeah, you are not alone in being in that position in the workplace. I know I've been there. I know that other people have been there too. And you spend more time at work than you do in, and yeah, than you do at home with your family, right? So yeah. if that place is bringing you down, you, you do feel like you have nowhere else to go. You don't want to bring that that trauma or that stress to your family at home, and you are very much you feel quite lonely when you're when you're in that position.
1: Yeah, a 100%. I think you've hit the nail on the head is that how we get impacted by what we do for the majority of our time ripples out to every single other aspect of our life. It's that really, without going woo-woo on this, but it is that sense that we're not just in boxes. We're not just a separate human mm. that we wake up and then we are our personal self and then we put on fancy clothes or not so fancy clothes if you're working from home. I know that you know sometimes it's fancy yoga pants on the bottom and fancy up the top. I don't know. We're not these compartmentalized people, right? That we are these holistic people that we go into these different environments and how we feel, we'll bring in the feeling, the F word, the feeling we're already in, but that matters. And I, I learned so clearly that when we are impacted negatively by the environments that we're in, that doesn't just impact us, that impacts every single other person around us. So I really, it's, it's one of the things I say a lot in workplaces is, you know, when one person goes down, every single person that cares about them and is in their close vicinity is impacted by mm-hmm. that. So this is why this stuff matters. The, the leadership, the well-being and the culture, it is so important in this day and age in particular.
0: Yeah. And it does all link in together. That's the most important part of it is it exactly, you say it's one person goes, everyone goes with them, but it's also if culture isn't what, if culture isn't in a good space, if it's not working, it will affect those other areas. It affects wellbeing. It affects the mental health. It, yeah. And yeah. Yeah. On Go ahead. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: <laughs> I feel like we could talk about this for hours. I am not kidding. Yeah. It's, yeah. I, I, I go into so many and I ha- it's such a privilege to do this kind of work. I really want to emphasize this, that going into workplaces and there's huge value, value being an external person that doesn't know the ins and outs and that can speak from one's own experience and best practice and come in for a short period of time. People feel that psychological safety to open up and to have those deeper conversations rather than maybe someone that sees them on a regular day-to-day basis and is ticking off different boxes and, you know, paying their bills and stuff. I'm not that person. And so when I go into these environments, I like to go in with quite a lot of like levity and lightness and to give people a a safe way of talking about these really important subjects about the impact of culture and well-being and mental health and leadership. So I typically play card games with people or I bring humor into the situation because when it comes with well-being and cultural leadership, these stuff don't have to be boring and heavy topics. It can be lighter. And I know that people often need that when they want to talk about these kinds of things.
0: Yeah, that's it. Because people... Because that's what I think a lot of people get worried about is that if you have an external person come in and you talk to the team, people get worried about sharing too much because then when you leave, they've then shared something that all their colleagues know about. And whilst I'm from the UK originally, and we're all a lot more guarded in the UK than, um, than Kiwis are, I know that, that people are still very worried. What you hold and to be vulnerable in front of your work colleagues is, is a pretty big thing. It's, it's hard to do. Uh,
1: yes. And I, I have these conversations every single day. And I also understand your, your mindset as well. My mum's my English too. So we have a lot of conversations about communication and emotions and feelings. And dad is a very Kiwi typical male. So, you know, builder grew up with the land, grew up farming. And so those two <laughs> influences. <laughs> and then I come into the picture and start saying, Let's talk about our feelings and how was your day and how would you describe how you are doing using words other than good, not bad, fine or okay. The first time I ask this, whether it's with my parents or workplaces, I tell you, I look around the room and it is crickets for a period of time. People often sit there being like, wait, how do I wait, how actually am I? And I realized that so many of us use the words good, not bad, fine or okay to describe how we, are re- how we are doing. When in reality, if we can't articulate how we're really doing, we can't take aligned action with that. We can't actually address the issues or the problems, the opportunities. And I see when I was in and I've been in a number of not-so-great, well-run workplaces or teams, etc., when we can't honestly articulate or speak to our experiences or our emotions or the impacts on what's going on. If we can't actually feel safe talking about that, are we also going to feel safe talking about some risks or some hazards or some little worries that we have about a problem or a project or something? No. So, we start small we start with games we start with humor and build that up
0: yeah that was actually one of the big things that happened with Nokia because everybody was too scared in the workplace to actually say to le- their leadership teams that this isn't working we need to come up with something different and because they all stayed quiet it it um basically that's how Nokia disappeared. Um, that's how the product just fell apart because it became redundant because everyone was too scared to actually say that something was wrong. Um, so yeah, it's it's needed. You do need to be able to speak up and feel confident and safe. I think that is definitely it. It's safety.
1: Mm, yeah. And I'd say on that is that And in some environments, and I really want to speak to this, is that in some environments, and we're seeing this happen at this moment in time, is that there isn't either a, whether it is some kind of healthy hierarchy or there isn't some kind of a buddy system or an accountability system to actually give people those spaces to safely talk about these things. So one of the bits of advice that I commonly give to leaders, and it's something that actually either doesn't cost much or it doesn't, you know. It it doesn't take a lot of effort. Is actually figuring out in your workplace who is it that you can communicate these types of things with, and if it's not your manager, then who is it? And I know that HR often gets a bit of a bad rep. You know, it's like oh, Helen from HR or Harris from HR. I don't know. Insert whatever (laughs) name you want to put in there. Yeah, Henny, let's (laughs) let's do that. Um, is you know figuring out who is? You can even call them like your 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 lighthouse or your lifesavers. Who are the people where if. Schmidt hits the fan. If if things hit the fan, then who are the people that you can go to? Also see how he Mm, said Schmidt rather than the other one, just in case there's like (laughs) filters on the podcast.
0: (laughs) I hope not, but yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, that's actually really interesting because, yeah, you do, you need a support system. You do need that. Um, So what are the telltale signs of a bad workplace culture, dare I ask? (laughs)
1: Mm, great question so I'd love to start with first talking about the 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 morality thing in there because I know some people talk about um good versus bad or right versus wrong I'd say like there there isn't that it's more is it is a thriving is a healthy environment is it's a toxic environment and there are some telltale signs and this also relates to the whole thing with good versus bad emotions good versus bad feelings Anyway, yeah, planting that seed with the listeners. So when it comes to the toxic work environment, a really key telltale sign is if people aren't communicating. That is a huge mm. one. That if they are sitting there in silence, if they don't feel like they want to go to the shared activities, if they want don't want to engage in the company culture, that's a really big telltale sign. If there are meetings after meetings, so if there are the secret silos, if there is the, <laughs> you know what I'm talking yeah. about, right? The meetings after <laughs> the meetings, where people basically go back through what happened and um, <laughs> and now and analyze it to the nth degree. I think it's similar things with the toxic relationship happen, uh, toxic relationship habits. So the the gossiping, mm-hmm. the blaming, the lack of accountability, etc. You can even talk about the above and the below the line behaviors those are, are really good ones as well so that's really great to start um if there is a lack of diversity and inclusion I know that that's talked about a huge amount so if there are mm. whether it's not bringing people's whole selves into work environment I know that that's a cliche thing to say but it is true so acknowledging if people have different worldviews if people have different practices even just acknowledging people's birthdays. So those little things, if they're not taken into account. The other thing that I'd say is a really big sign of a toxic working environment is if <laughs> the values of behaviours expe- expectations are one thing and you talk with people <laughs> and get the feedback and they are not lived into if, if those are there from 30 plus years ago or, I don't know, 10 plus years ago or even pre-pandemic when the world was a whole different place, I'd say that's a big sign. There's a really wonderful opportunity that I'm going to put in here at this moment in time for many workplaces to actually articulate the world is changing people are changing, the ways of working are changing, what it means to thrive is changing, and also acknowledging that people are tired at the moment. So what does actual sustainable performance look like? What does energetic sustainable, what does human sustainability look like? Yes, there's environmental sustainability. And also, if we're not caring for our people, if we're not conscious about that human sustainability, we're not going to be able to do anything about the greater problems of our time. So yeah, big
0: answer to your question. Oh, it's so true. I remember I worked in a company, in a, in a law firm actually years ago. And when we walked in, we'd sit down and we'd say hi to people on messenger because we didn't want to say it out loud and people wouldn't talk to each other. They would just type it in messenger. Um, It was a really, really strange environment because no one, because everyone was silent. And when you said about communication, I thought that's exactly it. You don't, we're not bouncing off, you know, it wasn't a workplace where you bounced off each other or that you had open dialogue and conversations because everybody was too scared to speak out loud. So it would be a message because then that way nothing comes back on you. Um wow. and I just found that really interesting. Yeah, when you said that, I thought, oh gosh, yes, I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And
1: I guarantee that you're not the only one, right? Like the reality is that both yeah. you and I, the what the reason why we do so much of this work and why we have done so much training behind the scenes and constantly do training is because we've been there, we've experienced these kind of things and we know personally how that impacts not just us but every person around us. And sure, we can go back and retrain as psychologists or psychotherapists or whatever or do 10 different degrees. And then also the reality is work still needs to get done. Um, on the mm. communication side, like I remember so clearly there was this and I think a number of cultures will resonate with this or a number of people that there's almost like these unspoken rules of communication or how things are done. And if the culture has this culture around presenteeism or you must be at your desk for a <laughs> number of hours or you must be seen to be doing things, but you're actually not doing anything, how is that impacting people's well-being and genuine sense of productivity? It's, it's not. I... I remember so clearly the um, when I was in a public sector for about the first uh, four or so years of my career, there was this sense that I, I needed to be seen, like I needed to be there, even if I'd finished all my work, even if I wasn't doing anything. And for someone that doesn't resonate with that for someone that actually needs to go and move or needs to communicate or needs to feel like the, the time and effort that I'm giving into things, it's actually <laughs> bringing fruit or it's doing things. It totally rubbed me the wrong way. It didn't make any sense.
0: I know. I'm exactly the same. I always say, you know, if I'm working on anything, I will always say, I cannot give you Um, a cost or I cannot tell you how many hours it can take. I can just tell you that it will be done by this deadline Mm. Um, and I will make sure that it's done because that's exactly it. There used to be so many times where I would run out of things to do and I would then think, well, I'm not going to start on a new project right now. So I'll just read the paper for, you know, 40 minutes until the end of the working day because there was no point in starting something if I knew that I didn't have the time and I wasn't going to stay late. So... (laughs) so yeah. I would have to find something else to do and sometimes you'd be you'd want that break you'd want the break to get up and make a coffee or something like that um and you just take your time because you think well you know I don't want to get all my work done beforehand and that mentality I think it almost makes you become lazier it doesn't you're not working you have no control over your work you're not You're not taking ownership, I suppose, is probably the best best way to describe it. Oh, Mm. wow.
1: It resonates. Yeah. I reflect (laughs) back to the years of actually working in the public sector or uh, being employed by someone. And I'd say being self-employed, I am minimum three to five plus times more productive because I there's genuine stuff to do. Like I care so deeply about the clients mm. I work with, the projects I'm doing. Like I give my hundred and ten percent when I'm on. I'm on. When I'm off, goodbye. I'm sleeping. I'm yes. going for a walk. I'm going to a dance class. I'm cuddling the dog. Oh, that dog! She gets so many cuddles. I swear,
0: <laughs> <laughs> she is a lucky dog.
1: Aww. That's no side. We've talked about dogs, okay? Jen's distracted, but it's it's a reality, right? I read a study. Yeah. I think. Um, a few years ago that the majority of people in the workplace are maybe genuinely only productive for about three, maximum four hours. And so it yes. really brings the question to my mind of why are we still keeping the 40-hour work week or I know that some organizations like Perpetual Guardian and some others are trialing or uh, it's getting yes. a four-day work week and seeing how that actually impacts upon people's well-being, morale, and I know for some people that isn't a reality and I acknowledge that. And for others it is. That's great. I think my question there for mm-hmm. listeners is really, how what does it mean for you to work productively? Or what does it mean to work sustainably? Mm-hmm. You know, is it that when you're working, you're you're focused? Is it when you're not working, you're going for a walk, you're doing something that genuinely like raises your energy, or you know, lowering stimulation of actually switching off for a period of time, especially with so many of us working from home these days. I know that those boundaries can be really crisscrossed. So Mm. I'd say like, what does it look like to actually work sustainably? That's a really big question that I'd love to ask the listeners. Maybe it's something we can pose as a question at the bottom of the podcast. I don't know.
0: Definitely. We, we will and we'll ask people to email in. So yeah, that would actually be really interesting. What is it that people do? Um, you know, and to keep the, keep productivity going because I think that's it is that you can't just work solidly. You do need to take breaks. And I used to, all. I remember I used to sit at my desk and I used to think, right, I'm just going to work through lunch so I can get this done. But you'd get to a point where you'd skip lunch and then you're hungry and your brain's not working properly because you've, you decide just to keep focusing on this piece of work. And yeah, it was just, it was never a good idea to do. But when you're in the flow, you're like, yeah, I'm just going to work through lunch and keep doing and keep working. Um, but it's not productive in the long, in the long run at all. Well,
1: I guess it's, um, you know, not, not sustainable in the long run, right? Because we, as, yes. as humans, we, just like our phones, we only have a certain amount of battery power. We only have a certain amount of energy. And and I know that many people have heard of circadian rhythms, which we have when we sleep. You know, we have those 90-minute cycles mm-hmm. where we go from REM sleep to deep REM sleep. And we need at least four of those per night to really feel rested, Um, during the day, we have our waking rhythms, which are called our ultradian rhythms. And I talk about this in one of the most popular workshops I do called Your Sustainable Performance. And it's very much that during the day, we have these 90-minute cycles. And within those 90-minute cycles, we naturally come to a point where we need to stop and rest and recharge. It's it's why, you know, in, in, in the education system that they have what, 45, 50, maybe max 60-minute lectures. It's the same thing with if we're doing a podcast or if we're doing a webinar, that we have to be real about people's energy, about people's ability to to focus and to pay attention. Focus takes a significant amount of energy. Like this, you know, the gray matter, the, the brain thing up here in our heads, that takes a huge amount of energy from us. And so doing that sustainably and taking what I like to call micro pauses throughout the day so little pauses anywhere from 20 seconds to five to ten minutes that can be really beneficial to recharge it and there's a free resource that people are welcome to download on the intentional generations website there's so many we have up there because we really want to make sure that people have the resources that they need
0: yeah oh we'll do a link to that in the show notes as well that sounds fantastic because sure. that is it. It's little bits of meditation, just little, as you say, pauses, stops, just to almost reinvigorate yourself after, yeah, after just so much focus or working solidly on one item. Yeah. Um, I guess jumping back a little bit, sure. and, you know, we're talking about productivity, we're talking about, you know, pauses and being able to do all that. If you're in a toxic work environment, it's really, really hard to to get through that, to struggle through, I suppose. But do you have any advice, I guess, for people that are in that kind of environment and feel a bit powerless, I guess,
1: to Mm. it? Yeah, gosh, that's a great question. And I remember so clearly what that was like. And I think the fact that that was my first proper working experience post-leaving law, it Mm. is so... I remember it so viscerally just how much that impacted me and that sense of powerlessness of feeling stuck in it. So in those kinds of situations where one is in a toxic working environment, one is struggling to get through, is figuring out who are your allies in in that situation? like whose opinions genuinely matter to you and I I know Brené Brown has a great recommendation where you put on a post-it note like the five names of the people that that they're basically in your corner where they know you they genuinely care about you they've got your best interests at heart it's not about you know I need you to stay and to do this work it's whose opinions genuinely matter to Mm -hmm. you and to first is to reach out and to speak, to communicate about where you are at. Because if we're not communicating, if we're not being real, if we're not you know, being vulnerable or authentic about where we're at, insert other <laughs> catchy words yeah. in there. I know that they're very fashionable <laughs> at this moment in time in the Brené Brown space or the um, people in culture space. But it is true is that we can't carry these loads just by ourselves. We know... I was going to say no man is an island, but no person is an island or um, robot or you know you know what I mean. So no person yeah. is an island. So yeah. sharing that load to start with and having the courage to do that because you are deserving of not being in a toxic environment. You're deserving of doing work that actually feels meaningful to you, or you're deserving of living a life that you don't dread waking up every single day, you deserve having rest. It's not necessarily, I know that this is a thing that I'm really trying to unpack in the narrative at the moment and really sharing widely is that rest isn't a luxury. Rest is actually a necessity. Rest is the number one thing that we need to prevent burnout. And there's seven different types of rest. Actually, there's a wonderful. Ted talk about the real reason why you're so tired and I think it's Dr. Sonia something maybe we can put it in the show notes but it's about the seven different types of rest so if people are in those toxic working environments and it's really bringing them down first to communicate to be honest about where you're at and it's not in a shaming of yourself in that way it's about a being compassionate being real with yourself being kind and it's realizing oh okay so maybe when I started I came with a you know really good intentions these were the promises and maybe it's not aligned to where it's at and asking oneself some big questions you know do you need to take a bit of time to figure out what is next do you need to invest in a a counselor or a psychologist or a coach or someone just to support you in that time do you have people in your corner that can support you so in those toxic t- 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 environments, sometimes we actually need to have a bit of space to figure out, cool, where am I at? What is it that I really want? Having the courage to admit what we really want and then getting the support to really work through that. I know that's, that's really a simplistic lovely. answer, yeah. but
0: th- that's, that's my, the truth that I feel in there. No, I think that it's uh, the way that you say it as well. It's full of emotion, and I think that's it. Is that when you are in that situation, you do sometimes feel that there's no way out, um, and so actually, you're completely right. I mean, just having that support there would make such a huge difference to so many people. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I think that's it. Is that a lot of people have have realised since COVID and just everything that's been going on in the world, that a lot of people want change, but they don't necessarily know how to get it um, or where to go or how to get that support. Yeah,
1: that's actually a really great point That I'd love to touch upon, is that there's there's a few misconceptions around the, the notion of getting support or making change or caring about one's well-being is that the biggest misconception I see and the biggest mistake that I see in so many people is that feeling that they need to take this huge change or feeling that they need to take this huge action that isn't sustainable or it's so outside their comfort zone that it is terrifying to think of when the reality is that we can, and this is, you know, what a lot of coaching is about, is you start with the end in mind. You figure out, okay, what's that goal? If you don't have that, that's okay. But what might be that next wise step? What might a small action be to start with? If it is that we can work out the first one to three steps, maybe the first step is actually maybe taking a day off or it's taking an hour here and there or half an hour here and there and and starting to ask those big questions or Having conversations with people that you care about or doing a little bit of research, like on LinkedIn. I know that's how you and I connected. Is are there people that you see in the online space doing what it is that you want to do? Are there people that get it that are getting the results that it is that you desire? And rather than someone saying, I have made this amount of money and I did it in one year or I did it in six months, my goodness, that is such a dangerous claim. It's not sustainable. Like, I know you and I have been doing this kind of work for years and the reality is that things go and roundabouts, things go and roller coasters, things go up and down. And when we think that we need to take huge action, when we think that it needs to be perfect the entire way, when we think that that our path needs to look a certain way, that's when things get really tricky. That's when we can often fall off track. So. If people are in, whether it's a toxic working environment or they're wanting to make change or they're thinking that, you know, there's a few good areas in my life, but I'm feeling a little bit off track in some areas or my life just isn't how it is I imagined, or maybe COVID has brought some big realizations to life where I know, you know, we've got the great migration and resignation and quiet quitting all these buzzwords and realities at the moment. There's a really great book called Life is in the Transitions. Uh, It was, I think, a New York Times bestseller in 2020, and it goes into all of this about how we think maybe life needs to be this steady, gentle progression when in reality, life is constantly happening to us. So it it may be
0: helpful to some people at this moment. I think that's exactly it. Um, Definitely what you see on social media is not real. And it's been really interesting because during COVID, I have started coming off social media more and more because I can't cope with all this stuff, you know, um, quit your job and be sort of a, an entrepreneur and you can make all this money and all this stuff. And it's just, you know, it almost takes away your, your reason of purpose. Why did you choose that job in the first place? And so many people then all of a sudden start chasing money or, You know, I was having a conversation um, with family this morning and um, and they were saying, oh, we need to find a way of, you know, making more and getting a promotion. And it's like, are you doing it because it's your purpose? Are you doing it because you enjoy the job that you're doing or are you doing it because you're seeing what everybody else is doing on social media? And now you feel like you should be earning more money, money, too. Um, And it's almost that people need to remember their why um, without sounding too Son of the neck about the whole thing but it is why a- <laughs> um, why are you doing what you're doing um yeah. and I think that's what I found really really interesting over the last couple of years it's it's a lot for us to take in and so many so many of us spend our time looking online that we think that the grass is always greener and a lot of the time, you know, work will not always be a walk in the park all day and all night. And, you know, you can't always love what you do. There will always be difficult times. And, you know, with the great, my, the great migration, there's also a lot of, you know, there's been a lot of redundancies over the last couple of years. And, you know, there's a lot going on. And I think that we need to stop thinking that life is this, you know, beautiful, um, boat ride, you know, through life, um, but actually it is a bit more of a few waterfalls along the way. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, I couldn't agree more. For real. I really could not agree more. I'd say that I, I, one, I agree. And two, I've become so conscious about what it is that I put on social media this last mm. year and a half in particular, and also how much time I spend on it. Because I know, especially if I go on Instagram and the way that the algorithm has funneled things to me, it is, if I spend too much time on it, it's really bad for my mental health. Like my anxiety goes mm. up, I start comparing myself to all the people that are earning, you know, $500,000, million dollars, or that kind of thing. And when I've talked with some of these people that are earning huge amounts of money or they're flying here, there and everywhere, they're working with heaps of clients, often the way that they're doing it isn't entirely ethical or it is playing to people's vulnerabilities. And so I think that's it's, it's something that I really hold close to my heart is doing things in a way that is sustainable and ethical and it's probably the way that I <laughs> have been raised and you know, growing up in mm-hmm. a rural community and having two parents that raised me with really good morals and then also going all the way through law school is that one, I want to make sure that the work that I do has, is grounded in precedent. <laughs> Goodness, I really can't get rid of the yep. lawyer in me. Um, so the, yep. everything has that backing and, you know, we've both been trained and working either got or working towards qualifications with the International Coaching Federation, so having those ethics there. And it's the same thing with when we're talking about, if we're talking about culture or well-being or anything online, is that people listen. People see, people remember whether we are conscious of it or not. And if we are, if we have the privilege of being in some kind of a, whether it's a public role, an online role, in an online space, we have influences, remembering that that's a privilege and that we have a responsibility to, one, be ethical and two, probably be, be real about the struggles mm. of life because, oh, and I will say this so clearly, like I have... A number of people that have either come up to me at events or they communicate with me online and I find it so weird but they have pedestalized me or they do pedestalize me and I, I'm i human. I have every single day different challenges that I navigate and you know, I'm grateful that I have a huge toolkit or a kit that I can draw from to navigate these but the stuff that you see on social media that's that's a flash in the pan, that's a moment in time, it's not a person's entire life. So. Oh, also, I'll leave this with your listeners, is (laughs) anything that you see on social media is thinking, where are you at this moment in time? Where are you viewing this in this moment? Because I guarantee that if you're on social media, you're either in a break, you might be chilling out on the couch in your comfies, in your grottiest, comfiest hoodie, snooty, snack track pants, whatever it is. Not looking glamorous and then looking at someone's glamorous life or perceived glamorous life, that's not an accurate comparison. Is it healthy? Is it not? No. So bringing that reality or I, I know some people flick through the gram or Facebook or LinkedIn on the, the toilet and...
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm <laughs> uh, <my> on. <God>. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, well, I'm clearly... I know what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> it was more, I'm more agreeing to the point that you were saying... You know, you're not at your the most glamorous when you're looking at pictures, and no. probably more so than me saying I'm, I'm looking at it on the toilet. But
1: yeah, <laughs> oh wow, toilet humor never fails to please. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but it is really true, and I guess that's the thing is that you know when you are actually do, living that glamorous lifestyle, or you're on holiday, or you're with family or friends, or doing all the fun stuff you're not scrolling through Instagram. No. So, no. yeah. 100%. A very good
1: point. Um, I, I'd also um, love to quickly speak to that. that the whole, so I, I've had feedback from friends over the last, um, what are we now? So we're, uh, September, so the last nine months, nine months that my lifestyle looks really glamorous and that I'm, you know, if I was in Queenstown for four or five months and then I have been flitting around the country, or staying in very various places for a few weeks to a few months at a time since uh, end of May, but the reality is that the travelling process is so tiring, and you know that's definitely a first world problem. I acknowledge that. The other thing is that it can be really lonely at times. Like I acknowledge my privilege, and I also acknowledge that there's there's no perfect scenario there's no perfect yay traveling and doing great work and getting to go and see friends and all that kind of thing the reality is I haven't had a home base since end of May really where I've been part of a community I've had lots of friends around me I it's been a little bit lonely at times and I really want to just share that because I want people to get an accurate picture of things rather than comparing their lives to someone
0: else's That's a really good point. Um, Very similar to that, I went to the UK in March. um, And on social media, all the photos would have looked great. You know, traveling, flying to the other side of the world. How lovely. Actually, we all got to the UK. I barely got to see anyone because we all got COVID. It was the first time my one-year-old was ever sick. And it was extremely stressful. And whilst we had some great times... I didn't put the photos of us all with COVID on social media because of course not. Um, And so you're completely right. You pick and choose what you put up online. And I think sometimes it's our own insecurities that, you know, almost put the, put everybody that we see on a pedestal and think how wonderful their life is compared to, to my own, when actually it's everybody's going through the same struggles and the same difficulties. And it's just about, you know, just, we're not going to always put on, we're not going to put the negative on there. And I think we just need to realise there's a balance in everybody's life, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Mm. But changing the subject slightly on you mentioning Queenstown, um, you have a wellness retreat happening in November, don't you?
1: Yes. <laughs> oh, thank you for the opportunity to chat about it. Love that little sneaky segue. I'm here for it. Uh, so <laughs> I I have been talking with a lot of people over the last two years that have been really struggling or really impacted by COVID or they've had a huge life change in their craving space and time to either reset or to really deeply rest or to de-escalate their nervous systems from the, the fear based and lower stress that they've been experiencing for a few years and maybe mm-hmm. they're someone that typically would give, give, give and not have much of that refilling of the cup themselves and so I've had a number of people for the last year say, hey, Jen, would you run a retreat? I was like, "Mm, I'll think about it, but it feels like a lot of work. And now it's gone to the point that actually, um, yeah, we're going ahead and we're doing it because I want to do it, because I deeply care about many of the humans that are already coming on the retreat. So we've got only six spaces left as of what day are we? Something... Thirteenth, fourteenth, something like that. <laughs> We're a Tuesday. It's a fun day, Tuesday, something like that. So we've only got six spaces available. We are considering opening up maybe two more spaces because we've had requests for more shared accommodations. So we'll we'll think about that. But the intent with the with the retreat we call, we've called it the rest and reset retreat. My co facilitator is a wonderful yoga mindfulness goddess. Uh, She's based in Queenstown. She was one of my yoga teachers back in the day when we both lived in Wellington together. I adore her. Mm -hmm. So we're collaborating on it where we're intentionally designing this restorative, restful, reflective retreat. So three nights, people check in on the Thursday and fly out Sunday morning. So they've still got time to fly back, (laughs) do washing. Catch their loved ones' rest yep. if they need more rest. But yeah, we're we're hosting it. Really excited, and if people are interested to know more, there's a link, um, maybe in the show notes, um, if that's if that's cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, very very excited and grateful to be running it.
0: That's awesome, and something I have I have not seen many retreats happening over here. So um, yeah, I'm sure that there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be very interested in this.
1: Oh, I, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, we're already having people ask if we're going to be running another one in 2023. So even if people can't make the 2022, there's a form there that they're welcome to film if they're interested in another one in 2023 and we'll release that as soon as it is available.
0: Brilliant. Um, so that is really cool. And I think that's it. People people need to realise that they need to start putting themselves first and not... Just running with life. I think that we are getting to a point where the juggle is getting harder and harder, and yeah. so people do need to take time out and and actually, you know, realize it's that whole saying, wasn't it? The uh, put your put your uh, air mask. Not even an air mask. What is it? You know, the oxygen mask. Yeah, oxygen mask. That's yeah. it. The oxygen mask on before you help others, and it's, yeah. it is definitely that type of situation at the moment.
1: Yeah, I'd love to jump in on that because I know it can be, and I'm speaking from some people's perspective where they get really annoyed at people who work in wellbeing saying, oh, you just got to care for yourself and self-care and imagine massages and baths and stuff. And I know personally, like I get frustrated whenever someone's like, you just need to care for yourself and make time for yourself when life happens and life can be complex and life can throw us all the different challenges at different periods of time. And I I just want to acknowledge that sometimes life happens. And the biggest thing that we can do is to one, acknowledge where we're at and to give ourselves permission to feel, to realize that, okay, this is a bit of a schmitty time or a schmitty day. And what's one thing that I can do later in the day to be, be nice to myself or to treat myself like my best friend? Or, you know, how would I speak to a toddler? Would I speak to a toddler the way that I'm internally speaking to myself. I know that so many of us there are achievers. And I know that both you and I are achievers. And I imagine a lot of people in your audience are achievers. The number one most destructive habit is that they're really cruel or not kind to themselves. And so that's a really big thing. And I'd say that the other thing I'd love to add in there is that the number one challenge that I see in so many people is that they resist what's going on in that moment or they think that, I already know all this stuff. You know, why is this still happening? Or, you know, I've gone through so many experiences. I've gone through so much education. I've gone through, insert whatever example you want in there. You know, life should be easier or I shouldn't be feeling this way or (laughs) anything else. But that actually causes the greatest sense of our suffering, right? So if we be kinder to ourselves, if we acknowledge that, okay, okay yeah, every single person, including the two people speaking on this podcast, have their own schmitty things going on at this moment in time. That can maybe give us some respite or maybe give us like a sense of, I'm not in this alone. People also experience this. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they do. And I think that's it, is that everybody does, but not everybody talks about it. And I think that's what people need to realise is that just because you don't hear that things are hard for somebody else, it doesn't mean that they're not going through their own turmoil or their own difficulties. Um, They just haven't opened up and shared it.
1: Yeah, so true. I remember in my very first role that You know, there was a really challenging environment and also one of the highlights was that I got to meet an incredible provider panel of executive coaches, facilitators, people at the top of their game and there was this one woman, I can't remember exactly which one it was, but she was saying, you know, everyone has this like bag of poo that they carrying around. Again, toilet, home, I didn't know this was going to happen. I'm so sorry. Um, sorry, not sorry. But everyone has this bag of poo that they're carrying around. There is their their life challenges, their life struggles. But some people just have it covered up with better perfume than others or better deodorant or whatever you want to call it. And some people wave it right around and in your face and talk about it. And others just gently place it in front of you like, hey, the, these are my things, these are my schmitty things and we're going to like cover it with nice smelling things or flowers together or we're going to bury that and use it to the nice manure in a garden and that's going to grow into nice things. Maybe that's the post traumatic growth analogy in there, I don't know. That yeah. is the reality that all of, us has, all of us have stuff going on and some of us hide it better than others but I just want to acknowledge like everyone has stuff going on. Like I know I've got some family stuff happening at the moment that is causing me actually quite a bit of stress at the moment and I'm doing my best to be kind to myself. Like I'm taking mental health day tomorrow to really take that break and to take my own medicine. Yeah, life happens.
0: It does. But that is actually a really good point that, you know, you do take the time and you take the time out because if you don't do it for yourself, no one is actually going to do it for you. Yeah. Um, and that's something I think I learned very early on, that if you don't put your hand up and say, actually, this is too much, or, you know, um, I need a, I need a mental health day, or I need a break, or I just, I need to be able to go home early today and just get my head in the right place. Yeah. Chances are no one else in your workplace is going to do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they do, you might end up on, on the other end of a HR um, situation. So I do find that, you know, you do need to do it for yourself and know when it's time to take some time out. Um, I'm conscious of time, but I do have one quick question for you. Um, it's very much, how do you, you know, we're all talking about all the baggage, that, or all the stuff, poo, et cetera, that we're carrying around with us. Um, how do we stop ourselves bringing it into the workplace? Because there are times when, you know, let's face it, there are people in the work it, that we work with that probably aren't as um, diplomatic as we'd like them to be, or they're not as nice to get on with. Um, and, you know, people call them characters, I suppose. Um, but, you know, they, they do have a way of changing the environment in the workplace and a lot of the time it's because they've got their own thing going on Um, as you said at the beginning you know with your with your workplace situation it's when people have too much work or something personal and their workload what how do we how do we not take that into our workplace how you know we say about bringing our authentic self into work and bringing all of ourselves into work but within reason right (laughs) Oh gosh, that's a
1: really tricky question to end with, but I'll do my best to answer it, Nikki. Um, So, oh goodness, it is a tricky question to answer. Okay, so first thoughts on that is that when it comes with emotional well-being and the understanding of trauma or secondary trauma or different types of different challenges that we experience and the impacts on us is that sometimes they unintentionally come out and other times it's a good thing for us to process. Um, So when it comes to the emotional well-being side of things, I'd say that if we compartmentalize things, we suppress things, the the danger or the concern is that they can bubble up at a later date or that they lead to concerns or different challenges down the track. So if something happens, for example, just before work and then you've got this presentation in an hour and Mm. do you have like two to five minutes or even one minute to do something to either change your state or to acknowledge where you're at or to make a little plan or to communicate with someone that, hey, this has just happened. I need a few minutes just to reorient myself, to collect myself. That that time is really important. I'd say that the biggest thing with not bringing things into situations or bringing the really tricky stuff into situations is that often people aren't either aware of it or they're not taking time to care for themselves or to manage that state or to just you know acknowledge that the human stuff is happening before going into an environment where it's their state is going to ripple out to every single person so yeah it's taking that mm. time it's doing something and I know Physiology or movement is one of the best things that we can do. So whether it is shaking it out, whether it is having a mini dance Party in a toilet stall. I've done this a lot of times. You can do it like really subtly, like just like I don't know if you're doing a video on this, but I hope not. But that's okay. But you can. (laughs) (laughs) For the the listeners, the the um the thing that just happened was Jen myself did like a weird little shaking party on the screen. So that that was fun. You're welcome. Um, so... (laughs) so moving the body it's a really big thing. Um. I've talked about this and I think there's even a free recording available on our website of a webinar I did last year as a fundraiser for the Mental Health Foundation. It was about retraining the nervous system for the new normal, I I called it, and it talked about different practical strategies we can use from the body perspective to de-escalate our nervous system, to calm it down, to make us feel better in the moment. So there's a lot of different tools in there if people are interested but yeah, big question to
0: end on, Nikki. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all, that's the biggest thing and that's what winning in work is primarily all about for us is you know helping people that move into managerial roles make the workplace better for everybody around them because yeah. yeah, this is our biggest problem: is that when somebody isn't happy in the workplace or if something is going on, we do exactly as you say, tend to internalise it but not communicate it. And if we don't communicate because we want to feel like almost that we're, I don't know, um, almost super superhuman, um, usually that that is our detriment. Um, so I do mm. find it really interesting um, that. Mm what you say because people do need to realize that they're human and we do need to actually take some time and and realize that we can't go from an extremely stressful situation straight into a meeting or you know and think that everything's going to be okay because we're not built that way our brain doesn't just switch in that way
1: oh 100 100 like all this flows on um, and I'd say for for your audience that are primarily managers or leaders is one of the things I share the most with leaders is that this is why the well-being stuff matters. This is why the culture, this is why them caring for themselves matters is that leaders are CEOs, they're chief emotions officers. So their state, their emotions, that ripples out to every other person around them. Like there's a great, oh, I have to find it, but there's a great interview where this man's talking about the leader comes into the office, the manager comes into the office and he looks stressed, he looks nervous, he looks worried. People start making up stories in their mind about why that's a thing. So if you want to trigger people's stress <laughs> response, come into the office really frazzled really stressed and I'll start making up stories in their mind about oh my gosh my job is at issue or redundancy is coming because people's number one fear when it comes to the work environment is their fear of irrelevancy and maybe being made redundant for example Brené Brown has some great research on that so actually caring for your emotional state and yourself this schmidt this stuff matters it really
0: does it really yeah it absolutely does Jen, I could talk to you for hours. Um, and I feel like this, this hour has absolutely flown by. Yeah. Um, but thank you so much for coming on and, you know, just sharing all your knowledge. Well, not even all. I, I know we have literally just, you know, scratched the very, very top um, of your knowledge there. Um, how can people get in touch with you? How can workplaces ask for your help?
1: Oh, great question. Thanks, Nikki. Um, notifications coming on just as we're finishing. Well done. So <laughs> an easiest way to get hold of me is an email. So hello, at intentionalgenerations.com. We've got our website, intentionalgenerations.com or um, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, but we're, we're moving less away. We're moving more away from the Instagram and Facebook side of things and being even more mindful of our time and energy. So email or LinkedIn is good yeah, feel free to connect.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Jen. It's been absolutely brilliant. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me on, Nikki. Have an awesome rest of your day. You too.